Some of you don't know who I am. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I'm honored to, to uh, serve with some pretty awesome people on the elder board. Um, I'm also one of the licensed pastors here. And uh, my wife and I lead a pretty awesome city group. It's called Doing Life Together. It's pretty awesome. And a lot of, a lot of our people are here tonight, so thanks for coming, guys. Um, my wife and I have been married for 34 years. My wife is Glory, and uh, it's a pretty wonderful story. God brought her along my side, and she is definitely the pride of my life. She's an awesome woman. We have four children. All of them are grown up and out of the house, and some of them have married a spouse. I've been known to rhyme from time to time, but I want you to know it's always sublime. And I... I I looked up the word sublime in the dictionary. It's pretty impressive. You want to look it up. It means excellent. So it's all good. My wife and I have five grandchildren. They're all wonderful and fantastic. Um, A little bit about myself. Uh, We've been here for 10 years at Heart of the City Church. And uh, we are so glad we're part of what God is doing in this house. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty dynamic, pretty special, pretty awesome to be here. Um, I wanted to thank Pastor J.O. and Ray Dean Owens for coming all the way from Vancouver, Washington, and coming to this place and establishing a house and wanting to put Jesus and his name and his, his glory here in this house and lifting up the word of God, honoring his word and being people of integrity and honor. Um, we first came here 10 years ago and uh, I was skeptical of certain leaders and I came and I, I watched these guys. I told these guys before, so I wanted to say it to you guys, but I came here with my eyes wide open. And I watched these guys for eight months, who they talked to, what they said, what they did. And finally, after eight months, I realized these are people of integrity. They are real, real people. And so I wanted to encourage, if you don't know them, you're in a good place because these people love you. And the elders of this this church, we love you. We're shepherds over this flock. I take the, the position of an elder as a very, very serious thing. It's... The church of Jesus Christ that we're responsible for. And uh, better have his heart. You got to have his heart. Uh, We met 34 years ago, me and Glory. It's quite the story. I'll tell it sometime, but not today. Um, It's been pretty awesome. What what a journey. Um, Tonight, I'm going to talk about Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. But before we do... I'm going to pray, a real short prayer, okay? Father, I thank you for everybody in this house. Thank you for everybody sitting in the seat. Uh, They came here for a reason. This is the time and the season. You're going to come and bless them in a way that they would never, ever be able to figure out. It's a blessing that's going to show up somewhere down the road, and it's going to release that heavy load that's been on their back because they felt an attack. But once they leave the house, they're going to be happy with their spouse. They're not going to feel like a louse that's laying on the couch. But they're going to say, the Lord has told my story. I'm going to give him the glory because it's a wonderful, wonderful trip that I'm on. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) I'm going to get better, not bitter. That's one thing we're going to talk about tonight. If you're on the road with Jesus, you're going to realize you want to get better, not bitter. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went up to the mountain to talk to his disciples. Are we there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6? Oh, good. There it is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is a sermon that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. 
Now, in the olden days, they didn't have a microphone, they didn't have speakers, they didn't have anything to broadcast their, their voice, so they had to get the people together and be able to speak to them, so if you talk down to them, they can hear you better. So Jesus went up on top of a mountain, and he talked to his disciples, and he talked to a bunch of people that were not his disciples. They were a multitude of people. <clears throat> I'm going to get a drink here. So he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're going to look at six words here in the first verse. Blessed is the first word, or blessed, blessed or blessed, I'm going to say blessed. Two weeks ago, Pastor Craig talked about three options for what the word blessed means, and I picked option number three. Here's option number three, an impartation, a disbursement of grace from God. That's why I'd be the blessing he's talking about. It's a grace from God. God is giving out grace. Why does he do that? Because that's who he is. Next three scripture verses. Do we have them up here? Here we go. First, or 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. God is blessed. God is blessed, God is blessed, and so he loves to bless his children, his kids, which we are. <clears throat> the next two words are very important to understand this verse. They go together like twins. Hunger and thirst, they go together. So I'm going to throw out some Greek words for you guys. The, the hunger, <laughs> hunger, the Greek word is pinao. And it means to be famished or to crave. To be famished means close to expiring because you are so, so hungry. Thirst is the Greek word dipsaho, which it means the thirst for. Okay, well, I kind of thought about that when I looked at the word. So literally and figuratively, it means to be thirsty. So when I came up on stage and talked for a little while, I became thirsty, so I drank some water. So it satisfied my thirst. The next word is righteousness, and this is a very important word. It's the Greek word, and give me a little bit of grace here. I'm going to try to pronounce it. I did take Greek in college, but the, uh, the teacher of the, the class had mercy on me. He said, Clark, I have mercy on you. I'm going to give you a D. I said, thank you so much. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, Tom, you're such a wonderful teacher. I will pray for you forever. <laughs> I thought he would give me a different grade. So, the Greek word here is dikaioone. That's pretty close. It, you know, close in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? I got close. So, the meaning is, for this word, is integrity, virtue, purity of life, or uprightness. So, uprightness is rather than walking like this, you're walking like this. Now, talk to a chiropractor, talk to Dr. Ryan, and walking upright is very important because when you walk upright, all the organs in your body are able to function the way that you were created to be, right? It allows your organs to function the way that they were supposed to, so it's very upright. 
Hunger and thirst are natural desires for our bodies, and without these desires, we would expire. Our life would come to an end. We can last longer without food, but physiologically, we have to have water within days or else, or else we perish. We dehydrate. And doctors say that one of the greatest um, medical uh, things that happens, is happening in the United States is that people in America are dehydrating. They don't get enough water. We drink liquids, but we don't drink enough water. That's just a little aside. Okay, so these natural urges point to spiritual urges. Jesus, of course, is not talking about food and water. He's talking about something else. So we're going to look into the something else that he's talking about. Um, There are urges that are in man. He's seeking to have righteousness in his life, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to be able to experience the righteousness that Adam way back in the garden, lost when he ate the forbidden fruit. He lost the righteousness that he had been given by God. So we desire to be reconnected with God again, as it was in the beginning. There's a cute little scripture verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. If you have some time, you're thinking, oh, I would like to kind of be entertained for a little while, go to the book of Ecclesiastes and read uh, a number of chapters. So it was written by Solomon. He got very discouraged with life. But there's a real nugget in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. And he said, eternity is in the hearts of men. From the time of creation, God has put a desire for eternity in every man, woman, and child that has walked upon the face of planet Earth. We want to have a right relationship with God. It is within us. It's been with us from the time that we are created. We want to have a relationship with God. We want to have a relationship. So in this verse, the crucial word in this verse, though, is the word shall. Say it with me. Shall. The word shall is a very prophetic and profound word. It is a profound and prophetic word because it's not happening right now. Shall is in the future. Jesus, the greatest prophet in the history of the world, is prophesying about a day to come. Shall. Those that hunger and thirst shall have something happen to them. Shall is important because it's beyond the reality of what's happening today. The word shall is important because it's a word that is beyond, beyond now. It's a word that has a prophetic perspective all over it. It speaks of a time to come, a time that is yet to come, but it's not here now. I'm going to throw out a nice little phrase I came up with. I hope you can uh, bear with me, bear with me a little bit, a phrase about prophetic utterances. Here, Here goes. Prophetic proclamations are pregnant with precious and powerful possibilities. There you go. That's a a little bit of a... I have to do this to see you guys. I'm sorry. You're still smiling. Good. So I love it because prophetic promises are pregnant. That means they're ready to give birth to something. I'll give it again. Prophetic proclamations are pregnant with precious and powerful possibilities. Prophecy is all about possibilities. So Jesus is prophesying about a time to come. It's not today. Remember, he's talking to the multitudes and he's talking to the disciples. Two important groups. He wants them to know that he's taking them from one place like this and we're going over here. 
I'm moving you from there to here. Jesus is transporting them with his words. Listen. Jesus is preparing the Jews for a time yet to come. That word shall is very prophetic. I'll go back a little bit. There is a scripture verse in um, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says, and it shall come to pass. I will pour out of my spirit upon my sons and daughters, and they shall. So the word shall is a prophetic word. Jesus is prophesying something to come. He's preparing the Jews for a time yet to come, a day when the old passes away and new appears on the scene. Out with the old covenant to be replaced by the new covenant. No more sacrificing bulls and goats and lambs so that your sins can be covered. That is the old, and now he's transporting them into the new. The Jews were used to slaying this goat, that animal all the time to cover their sins because they knew they wanted to have a righteous relationship with God, but it just wasn't available to them. They're struggling in their faith, but they needed some help, and God has provided a lamb for them. It was his own son so that they would have that relationship restored that their great, great, great ancestor Adam gave away on the day that he fell. We're talking about a righteousness that comes from God alone. Not by works, but by faith in the sacrifice of the Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he made himself who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him. And that's in him, in Jesus The promise is to be filled. The Holy Spirit is the filler. When we get saved, he brings us God's righteousness. He imparts it to us. We are righteous in him. Hallelujah. The fulfillment of that scripture verse, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, when they find Christ, they are filled with a righteousness that's not their own, but it's given to them by God the Father because of the sacrifice of Jesus the Son. Woo! Glorious thing. Hallelujah. Amen. I got to share this. This is one of my favorite phrases of Jesus. I I love a lot of phrases of Jesus, but this kind of blew people out of the water. So here we go. He's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, it's necessary, necessary for you that I go away. And the disciples are going, what? Wait a minute, Jesus. What are you going away for? And it's funny because a lot of times he told the disciples very plainly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be um, betrayed. I'm going to go before the elders and they're going to uh, whip me and torture me and all that kind of stuff. And then I'm going to get crucified, but I'm going to come back to life three days later. Hallelujah. And went <laughs> over their head. It went over their head. Not once, but twice. I was reading the book of Mark and three Two or three times Jesus told them what was going to happen, and then they were so shocked when it happened. So anyway, Jesus said it's necessary that the Holy Spirit goes away, and here's the key to it. He said, it's necessary that I go away, that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. And so for the last part of my message, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm trying not to get side. The word's not sideswipe, but sidetrack. Thank you, Don. God bless Don. Don's got it going on. Thank you, Don. All right. 
We're going to go on to verse uh, 8 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the Bible says that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above every other thing. So Jesus is talking about pure hearts, and they know that nobody's got a pure heart. What in the world is going on here? Who's this crazy Jew? Who does he think he is? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, if you look at things from the natural, it looks really crazy. So remember, blessed is the blessing that comes from God. And that we need God's grace in our life. God's grace is God's resources and creative empowerment to do things that we can't do on our own. So we need his grace to run the race, right? The blessing in this verse again is telling of a time to come as we see the world, the word, excuse me, shall again. Jesus not speaking about this present time, but he's talking about a time to come, come, shall. It's not reality yet, but it's coming. It's headed down the road. It's the slow train coming. As an old song went by Bob Dylan, slow train coming. Yeah, it takes a while. It'll get here. It'll get here. It's not here yet. Well, we're still waiting. It's on the road. It's on the road. It's on the track. Don't look back, Jack. We're waiting for it to come down the track. It's going to be here eventually. Come on. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's coming. It's coming down the road. Again, Jesus is preparing his hearers for transition. They're going from the old into the new. What do you do going from the old to the new? Well, you wait patiently for the promises because they're on the way. They're on the way. They're on the way. He's preparing them for the transition time from, from the old to the new. Did I say that? I'll say it again. I have to say it again. Transitioning them from the old to the new. Um... Last March, we talked about the new. It's the time of the new. There, this is a new, you living in a new day. You're living in a new age. The old age is passing away, and we're living in a new day. Hear what they have to say. It's going to be a new day. It's going to be a new day. Uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's, I, um, I'm going to come back to this, but I, uh, the Lord reminded me to share something. It's about this wonderful couple in the front row. I used to work at the Charter Academy across the road, and I had a vision of these guys. Uh, Ray Dean and J.O. were at the beach, and they're wearing their beach clothes. And, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> so they're at the beach doing whatever, you know, whatever people do at the beach. And all of a sudden, they were on a surfboard, and they were both on the surfboard going like this. And they were on this huge, gigantic wave, about a 25 or 30-foot wave, but just massive like this. And they weren't scared. They're on the wave, they're on the wave going like this. Yeah. And they were just chuckling and laughing. And I'm going, what in the world is going on? I, if I was on that wave, I'd be scared spillless. And I felt the Holy Spirit said, they're riding the wave. They're riding the wave. And there's a wave on the horizon. The wave is coming. It's coming down the track, and don't look back, Jack. It's on the way. So it's time for the new. Where was I? I got lost a little bit. Where am I at? Um, Yes, I was at the beach. Thank you, brother. We're at the beach. (laughs) So Jesus is telling them about a process that's coming. Or if you're Stephen Knoll, it's a process. But there's a process coming that is going to do something in the heart of man. 
There's a new thing coming that Jesus said will do miracles in the hearts of men. The greatest miracle in the history of creation is to change an old stony heart and make it new. Here you go. This is the verse for you. Ezekiel chapter, chapter 11 verse 19. God says, I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and judgments and do them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. That's New Testament language, folks, and that's in the Old Testament. I guess Ezekiel put it in the wrong spot. He didn't know. Just a little joke. So we're going to talk about the process, the process that's going on right now. Jesus prophesied about the process. The, the process is a refining process, like refining a metal, a precious metal like gold. And so I'm going to give you a natural illustration of what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying is happening in the spiritual. So the process for smelting gold goes like this. The goldsmith gets the gold. And the raw gold, he puts it in a pot that's called a crucible. Write that down if you're taking notes. He puts the gold into a crucible. And then he takes the crucible and he puts it into a certain place. He puts it into a fiery furnace that's really hot. He puts it into the furnace. And the heat gets hotter and hotter to about 2,000 degrees. That's the melting point of the metal of gold. So the goldsmith reaches into this instrument, and when the, the, the gold gets really hot, there's junk that comes to the, the top, and it's called slag, S-L-A-G. What a drag, i got to scoop out the slag, right? So he goes and like this and like this, and get that junk out of there. What does he do with the junk? You throw it away. He doesn't keep it. So it's a process. So... He does that again and again. He puts the gold and the crucible back into the furnace. And then again, he brings it back out and he scoops it again. So this is done many, many, many times. It's a process. So the final result of the fine gold is revealed. And then the, uh, the master uh, goldsmither is done. I ask, how long does that process take? It depends. It depends on how the gold reacts to the refining process. <laughs> and the, gold, the master goldsmither will continue until all the dross is gone. That's the process, my friend. That's the process. So in our lives, the Holy Spirit is the goldsmith, and our hearts are the gold that he's refining. In the natural, gold is easily drawn out and shaped. It's one of the most valuable metals and it will not tarnish. I got a brand new gold ring because I got married to my beautiful, sweet wife 33 plus years ago. It's awesome. It shines brightly. I can see myself in there too. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, so <laughs> gold is one of the most valuable metals. And here's the most neatest, if that's a word, the neatest thing about gold is that heat will only make it more pure. The more you heat gold, the more pure it becomes. The more you heat it, the more pure it becomes. Praise the Lord. So the moment we become born again, Holy Spirit begins His work. As a master goldsmith, He begins the refining process, and He will finish what He starts. Amen? 
Scripture verse from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to take shortcuts. He's not going to take detours. He's not going to go on vacation. He's not going to take a break. He's not going to say, oh, I'm tired of doing this work. I'm going to stop doing this. No, he's not. He's working all the time, 24-7. He's taking you to heaven. Woo! He's working. Working it. Working it. Working it. Come on. Another scripture verse. i got to go through these really quick. Romans 8, 29, um, part A. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. It's up there. To be conformed to the image of his Son. The work of the Holy Spirit is to conform you. To conform you. To conform you. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's not on the Sky Bible, but it says 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we are all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Transformation into the image from glory to glory. God's telling your story. He's getting rid of the junk in your life, going from one glory to the next glory. Woo! It's a work, and it's a good work he's doing. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord, it's the Spirit of the Lord working you, taking you from one glory to another glory to tell his holy gospel story. Oh, it's a mighty thing. You're a trophy of grace. Hallelujah. It's a process. It's a process. It's not a one-way process. You must be willing and yielded to him. He wants to do the work in you, but it goes a lot faster if you're willing. You know what I'm saying? If you're more willing, he's more willing. I remember Jesus had a person come up to him and he said, I would, uh, uh, Jesus, if you're willing, I would like you to heal me. And he said, I'm willing. God's always willing. Come on, we, we just need to cooperate and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, uh, do something in me. Here I am, Lord, this is all I got. Take your shot. I don't know what's going on, but I'm with you. And that's the best place to be, right? Amen. Another scripture is in First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So we came back to the pure heart that Jesus is talking about. It's a process. God has got you in a process. He wants to produce a pure heart in you. I've got a few little nuggets that I'm almost done. I've got a few little nuggets to share with you tonight. I think we'll make this scripture even more valuable. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And this is the first scripture I thought of when I read this scripture in the book of Matthew. The Holy Spirit ran my mind to this one. It says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness, holiness. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. So what does it mean to pursue holiness? Here's some su suggestions. I'm hoping that you can take these to heart and ask the Holy Spirit what you should do. Pursue to me means to chase something. I pursued my dog one day when she jumped over the fence. I lost the battle. She got away. But to run after, to pursue, to race, to take initiative, 
That's what I believe pursue means. Pursue holiness and be willing to submit to the Holy Spirit's process so that he can produce pure gold in you. That's really my message. I have just one more scripture verse to throw at you tonight, but then I'm going to pray. Pure gold, by the way, was used in the making of Solomon's temple. Not just ordinary gold, but pure gold, the most purest gold ever. Moses' tabernacle was made with pure gold. And all the vessels of the sanctuary were made of a certain gold, pure gold. Did you know that Solomon's, I didn't know that Solomon's temple was laid with pure gold inside and out. The floor was made out of pure gold. Come on. Pure gold is a very reflective material. And this is the kind of the zowie that I got is that when the goldsmith is done with the gold, they look over the crucible and they look to see if they can see their face in the gold. They see their face reflected in the gold. They know the process is over and it's done because the image of the maker is reflected in the gold. My friends, that is your calling. You have been called to such a time as this. You have been called from the day that you were purposed in your mother's womb for this day. This is a day of holiness. There is a spirit of holiness. I feel it right now. There is a spirit of holiness blowing over this county and over this city and even these five counties. I hear the spirit of holiness coming and drawing his people into a place where they seek his face and there is a dropping of a new anointing of his grace upon his people. One last scripture verse and I will be done. Luke chapter 3 verse 16. This has become my other favorite 316. First, of course, is Book of John 316. It goes like this. John said that this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He said this about Jesus. I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. And I believe it's going to cause the devil to be full of ire because he knows that he's never going to retire. He's going to get beaten from pillar to post in every place in between. God's raising up an army of people that know what it's like to be holy because it's not them. It's the Spirit of God that's turned up the fire and is burning off the dross no matter what the cost and scraping it off and throwing the dross away. That's you. That's you. That's me. I'm going to pray. Let's all pray. I'm going to ask you today, if the Holy Spirit touched your heart and you wanted to be that pure gold, if you said in your heart, I want to be pure gold, but God, I've got all these things in my life. God says, that's all right. I know I see those. Don't think I don't see what's hidden in your heart, son, daughter. But I believe the Holy Spirit said, submit, submit to the process and see what I will do in you. I will make you new. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you want the Holy Spirit to do that work, that process in your life, I want you to raise your hand wherever you're at in this auditorium. I'm praying too. I'm going to ask for that Holy Spirit process right now. Hallelujah.
Father, you see every hand, oh God, those people that want that process to begin in their life. I pray, Father, that our heart would be submitted, our will would be given over to you, that we won't buck the process. We'll get better, not bitter. We'll put ourselves in the crucible and allow you to turn up the fire higher and higher. Turn up the fire, Lord. Burn off that stuff in our lives so that our lives will reflect the image and the character and the nature of the one who gave his life for us. And Father, we dedicate our lives to the process of the Holy Spirit so that you get all the glory, Father. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. I've asked Pastor J.O. to come and share a real wonderful message. Listen. Can we thank Clark today for a beautiful word?